Hello, and welcome to an exciting new uh, program for me on Kitco. It's the Kitco Gold Podcast. It's so new. We actually haven't even had a name for it yet, but uh, we spun this out from the Kitco Roundtable discussions, and now we're going to be focusing mostly on, on macro commodity issues, what's driving markets, obviously our focus, precious metals, gold and silver, but we'll also be talking about all other commodities that take our fancy. Joining me is uh, Riding Shotgun co-host is Phil Striebel. He's Chief Market Strategist with Blue Line Futures. Phil, welcome to the discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Niels. It's a, it's a pleasure. I love Kitco. It's a collaborative um, ideas and stories surrounding those metals markets that we all love. And, you know, it's just a pleasure to be on. And, you know, I'm excited to get go on this journey with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic, and um, I just I really want to get a trader's point of view on on what's driving markets because it's just it's fascinating. These markets move so quickly, and uh, just minute by minute everything changes. Um, but first, my the first guest, the, the the person that I wanted to have on, really sets the stage for the gold market. He's the person who has probably for me the most history in the precious metals. Uh, George Milling Stanley. He is chief gold strategist at State Street Global Advisors. And uh, State Street is actually the marketing arm of GLD, the world's largest uh, gold-backed ETF. Um, George, thank you very much for joining us. Niels, I really appreciate the invitation. Kitco is part of my day every day. Um, I don't actually come on shows or talk to you every day. Um, but the Kitco gold price is actually what's up on my screen right now. <laughs> if I were to show you my laptop in front of me, um, just because I need to know that gold is currently $831.80 bid. Um, I need to know where that price is at all times. And Kitco is what helps me to keep up to speed with all of that. And of course, with all the news too. So being part of this um, is, a real, is a real honor and a privilege. Um, so just, I, I stole some of your thunder, you know, give us, what do you do at, at State Street? Um, I spend my day talking essentially to financial advisors, um, to investors, especially high net worth and ultra high net worth investors. So this is the intermediated private wealth sector, if you like. So, um, you know, private wealth management at banks and of course, independence, RIAs and so on. Um, and I talk to the advisors, and sometimes I get the opportunity to talk to the end clients, to talk to the actual investors as well. Um, and I spend most of my day talking to these people, but I do as much as I possibly can. Um, I listen to what they have to say as well, because what their concerns are, are going to be the next set of questions from the next advisor or the next investor. Um, so just as you as a journalist have to listen very carefully um, to what people are telling you, even though I'm doing the telling in most instances, I'm also doing an awful lot of listening as well. So it's kind of a, um, it's, it's a two-way system, if you like, but uh, that seems to work pretty well. So that's essentially what I do. I talk to them about the role that gold can play in a properly balanced investment portfolio um, and how GLD and our other product, GLDM, the mini version of GLD, how these are um, two very, very efficient ways of actually executing. If, if you believe what I'm saying, if you follow my advice, then these are um, proven to be over the years uh, very effective ways of actually executing on that advice. So 
before we get into you know what's driving gold um in in the in the short term we've had uh, a lot of action in this past week it's actually been really really exciting confusing as heck but exciting um george what's the elevator pitch for holding gold in your portfolio you know like why should um investors have some of this exposure i think that um I tend, we could talk about thousands of years of a track record, and, and I've done that with you on a number of occasions, and we probably will again. Um, but for, for, for most purposes, um, I talk about what gold's done over the last 50 years. In other words, since President Nixon created the free market in gold in 1971, when he closed the gold window, ending the automatic right of foreign governments to exchange their dollar bills for physical gold bars drawn from Fort Knox, um, what has gold done since then? And I'm, I'm always intrigued to see that essentially, I believe that the historical promise of gold for investors is twofold. And that's very important that it's offering two things. One is that over time, gold can enhance your returns. Um, and the other is that again, over time, because gold performs best in the long run, over time, gold can reduce the volatility of a properly balanced portfolio. So what is gold offering you? Um, it's offering you uh, enhanced risk-adjusted returns. And I think that that is a very, very useful promise for investors. And I think that's why an awful lot of investors have somewhere between 2 and 10% is what the literature suggests as a strategic allocation. But of course, that's kind of an average and the, nobody is actually average. So some people should have more than that. Um, but that's, uh, that's essentially the promise that gold can help to improve your risk adjusted returns. Now with the price down four and a half percent in 2021, it was only delivering on half of that promise. It was delivering on the volatility reduction half of that promise. In 2022, I'm expecting gold to go back to delivering on both sides of the promise, as it did in 2019 with the gold price up uh, 19%. Um, and in 2020, when the gold price was up 24%. So to go down 4.5% after two very, very strong years indeed, I think was, was really not, a, not, not much of a problem. And it was actually a much smaller decline than a lot of people thought. If you think about it, the long-term average over that 50 years that I'm talking about, back to 1971, the long-term average annual capital appreciation of gold has been in the region of seven and three-quarter percent. That's actually not bad, but it means that in 2019 and 2020, we did way better than that. So a bit of a pause for breath in 2021 was to be expected. Um, the way gold is shaping up right now uh, makes me think that we could see some more excitement in this, this year to come. It's a great it's, I was going to say that's a great point, George, because you could see with the volatility in the markets that we're experiencing today and a lot of the uncertainty, you've got U.S. equities. The Dow just a minute ago was down 700 points and gold futures were fluctuating just up a couple of dollars. So definitely an investor would want to have that GLD in their portfolio, especially today. Yep, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, volatility in uh, the bond market that we've seen with, you know, with the 10-year rate all over the lot and going up dramatically, which means bond prices are dropping. 
Um, equities seem to spend most of 2021 hitting fresh all-time highs. I think I read somewhere in the paper, the year-end review, um, the, the S&P 500 had hit 70 fresh all-time highs in the course of just one year in 2021. Mm -hmm. um, this year has been very, very different. I'm sure you're aware of that, um, with equities down a good deal. And as you say, down even further today. Um, so I think that uh, that, to me, suggests this could well be the time for gold again. Well, is this what's driving gold? I mean, so we saw, I, I thought this was this was really interesting last week. I mean, we saw gold break out. Everybody's sort of been waiting for that that 19 or 1830 region to to fold. Um, we saw a really good breakout. You know, we hit uh, what a two month high in the gold price last week. And um, that came actually as bond yields hit a nearly two-year high. I mean, we had uh, nearly a, a 1.9 uh, uh, print on uh, bond yields last week, um, and gold breaks out. Like it, to me, this was this was one of the most fascinating things about gold last week. Is you know, like all last year, we had record low um, uh, negative. Uh, real interest rates uh, and gold yeah. couldn't catch a bid. And now here we are, you know, they, they rally 50 basis points in a matter of months, um, you know, to negative, uh, uh, negative 50 basis points. But we just saw this, this massive rally in yields and here we are gold's taking off. So I'm sort of wondering, I mean, you know, we always have this, this um, idea that real yields, you know, sort of drive gold, but um, I'm sort of wondering, is it is it something else? I mean, Phil, do you think it's the the equity markets and and sort of this uncertainty that's that's making gold attractive? Yeah, you, you you know you I look back at some of the some of the cycles that gold has, and it seems like you get the Fed aggressively easing, gold takes off. You get the uncertainty uncertainty around the tightening. That's when gold has its pressure. So it was coming in the last couple months, how many rate hikes are they going to have, you know, in 2022? And then just like last week, you know, I'm out to dinner and I hear people talking, we better buy a house now because the Fed's going to raise rates <laughs> 10 times next year. And it's like, holy cow, peacockishness. So the Fed at that point, the only thing they could do is they can disappoint on the amount of rate hikes and the amount of um, you know, hawkishness. And that's when I think gold starts to get its lift off. Well, George, I mean, this is something that you and I have talked about many a times. Um, gold actually does well in a rate hike cycle. And um, the WG, uh, uh, the World Gold Council actually had a report on this. Um, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but they were basically saying that, um, you know, six months ahead of a rate hike, Gold, that's when gold underperforms six months after the start. That's when gold starts to, to catch it, you know, to, to start finds its legs basically. Um, you know, what are your thoughts in this, in this monetary policy environment? And I should say um, this week is the, is the big fed announcement um, where, you know, they're going to lay the groundwork for, you know, 10 rate hikes this year, uh, quantitative tightening. They're going to reduce the balance sheet to zero, um, all of this, all of this hawkish, it starts, it starts Wednesday, apparently. Um, what are your thoughts, George? Um, don't, don't get your hopes up for all of that, Niels. Um, you know, I, I, Jerome Powell is a very cautious, very prudent man. I don't think he's going to come up with any major surprises. 
the markets are looking for, depending on who you talk to, three or four rate hikes this year. Um, I don't think he's going to tell us how many it's going to be, but I think he's probably going to squelch any thoughts that it might be as high as 10. Um, <laughs> that, would, that, would, that would be my suggestion. As far as um, the, the bond purchases is concerned, yes, they are planning to unwind and stop their bond purchases altogether by the spring of this year. Um, when they actually start to reduce the balance sheet as opposed to continuing to grow it, is still up for grabs. And again, I'm not necessarily expecting him to come up with a particular month uh, in which they will start to reduce the balance sheet. And I'm certainly not expecting him to tell us when they will finish reducing the balance sheet. Um, so I think there's still some vagueness and still some uncertainties out there. As far as the, the, you know, the link between gold's performance and rates is concerned, um, history is pretty clear on this, I think. In anticipation, when we, are in, when we are anticipating a rate hike from Fed, which we have been doing now since those high inflation numbers started to come out, and that's June of last year, if, if I recall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the, we've had high inflation for more than six months. Um, so the market has been anticipating significant action on the uh, rate front from the Fed for more than six months now. And I think that the market has been nervous about that. And that is part of the reason why gold underperformed during calendar 2021. But um, again, history makes very clear numerous examples of this, that once we get the reality of rising rates, and once people put all this together, if we do get four rate hikes in 2022, interest rates are going to be at 1%. That's nothing, nothing to be terrified about. Paul Volcker took interest rates up into the teens in percentage terms back in the 1980s, when we had much higher inflation than we've had over the past few months. Um, and that hurt the gold price, no question. But I don't think that a even a full percentage point on interest rates, that's still going to leave rates at historic lows in nominal terms and um, historic real uh, negative rates, um, you know, if, if you look at it in real terms. So I think the markets exaggerated the importance, they, their fears about what the Fed might do were exaggerated in, in uh, 2021. And I'm expecting that to disappear, to dissipate just as soon as the Fed actually moves to raise rates. When that will be, we don't know. How many it will be, we don't know. And I don't expect to know any more um, by Wednesday evening than I know today about what the Fed's actually going to do. You know, George, it's really interesting. You get that, the, the way you outlined it, you get the fear of the higher inflation, you get the policy response, it leads to an economic slowdown, and it all happens very quickly. And it's just, I have to wonder, you know, did the Fed really feel that political pressure from the inflation and that they're going to do the one or two responses right away with the rate hikes, but then they wait to see if their transitory discussion actually proves itself and we get that less rate hike policy coming into the middle of the year. So two right away, then we pause and we end up only at that three or even maybe four by the year is done. No, I, I think you're right. I think that, you know, um, think about it. Everybody was telling the markets, this is um, Jerome Powell and the other members of the FOMC, plus Janet Yellen at Treasury, the word transitory was front and center in their vocabulary and their comments about inflation um, up until almost the end of last year. 
it was it was really very, very much toward the end of the year that they both finally dropped that word transitory because something that's been with us for six months is clearly not transitory. Um, to, to me, um, you know, gold's relationship to inflation is looked at over the long term. Whenever we've had sustained high inflation, and by that I mean at least six months and preferably 12 months, sustained high inflation at 5% or above over the past 50 years, then gold has given us nominal returns of around 15%. So a real rate of return of about 10% whenever we've had what I would define as high inflation above 5% for a sustained period of time. Um, I'm still looking to see that come into these markets. And if that happens, then the price is going to be, you know, from 1830, the price is going to be on the verge of 2000 very, very quickly. And it's really not that long since we were above the $2,000 level. It was August of 2020 when gold set an all-time high of $2,067 an ounce. Um, I think that there's a very serious possibility we could see that taken out this year. Well, do you think, uh, maybe this is a question for, for Phil uh, as well, because, uh, and actually I'll get Phil to answer this first. I mean, do you think we get 5% inflation this year? Like, you know, I, I don't think inflation stays at 7%, but I just, I don't know. I mean, you look at oil prices, you look at commodity prices, um, you know, can, you know, does, does inflation fall down and, and where does it fall to? Like, is do you think 5% is realistic? The inflation is going to hold up. I mean, it's doing a great job really, you know, really well right now. If you look at the CRB index, which is kind of what a commodity trader uses to gauge where inflation is at, at least real inflation, that made a new, a new contract high last week. We are going to see elevated energy prices. We have seen um, adverse uh, weather affecting many different agricultural products, everything from U.S. products um, you know, with the drought in the Northwest down to a freeze in Brazil. So your coffee prices are going to remain high for an extended period of time. I think there are some pockets where you'll get that inflation coming off. Like we're seeing that, you know, in like metals like platinum and palladium, they're not as high because of this, the, the chips shortage. But if they resolve that, you might see where certain areas of inflation come down, but up other areas start to pick up steam. So we do expect, at least I do, I expect inflation to remain high. I think the biggest threat to inflation is that you get employment to come back. Now they're producing much, much of these products. You also get the supply chain issues resolved. That'll allow products to flow. And then you'll start to see peak demand and excess supply and inflation comes down. Yeah, but does, does... Oh, I love you. I love your optimism, Phil. I think you absolutely need optimism if you're going to be a trader and if you're going to be a successful one, as you are. Um, but I'm not sure that I'm seeing those supply chain issues being resolved immediately. There are still, we are still in a pandemic. COVID has not gone away. I don't expect Omicron to be the last letter of the Greek alphabet that we study um, in terms of a, a variant of the, the virus. Um, mutations are still to come. I think that that you know COVID nineteen is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Let's not kid ourselves on that, and that means that those supply chain disruptions are probably still going to be with us. That then means that we are likely to see inflation much higher than the Fed wants to see it, much higher than you or I like to see it, and much higher than the equity markets want to see it as well. So, 
Um, let's not uh, let, let's not get too optimistic here. As I say, I love your optimism, but let's not let it get out of hand. Well, okay, it's, I want to continue on this inflation theme. In that, you know, nobody that I've talked to actually says that the Fed is going to to even try to get in front of the curve. Um, and so, I guess I'm I'm sort of wondering, like. At what point, like, does does one percent does a one percent interest rate um, risk economic activity? Um, do you think the 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 U.S. economy can can survive even even a one percent? Like, do you think that, or you know, is it is it going to be much lower? Is it going to be two rate hikes? I mean, you know, and and I say this because you know, like at inflation. I mean, we look at the the December retail sales. Um, inflation was one of the number one reasons why that number disappointed. Um, the, the the consumers are seeing their purchasing power definitely weaken, and you know, like how does how does all of this impact economic activity? Personally, I don't think that one percent uh, on interest rates, if that's what we get, uh, I don't think that that should pose any significant problem for the U.S. economy. Um, but after this extended period of zero interest rates and, and massive accommodation on the monetary front uh, from the Fed over years now, uh, I think it could be a significant shock to the system. And our system can withstand anything except shocks. It's really not good um, at, at being surprised. And I don't think anybody should be surprised if we see rates at 1%. And I don't think that's going to make that should make a significant impact on uh, on economic activity, but it might. And I think that that is very much one of the reasons for um, the current uncertainty in equities. Um, you know, we've seen global equities um, what down uh, down four percent or so a year to date. We've seen the VIX up fifty percent, so greater volatility coming into the markets. And I think that these are all things that historically have benefited gold. Um, and I think that's why we're above 1830 today. I think, to me, the resistance is kind of between about 1800 and 1850. There's a fairly broad band there um, that gold found it difficult to punch up through last year. Um, I think it's doing a much better job of it so far this year. We've remained comfortably above 1800 all year so far. Um, being above 1830 today, Again, I'm expecting another attack on that 1850 level, which was the upper band of resistance. And I'm not seeing any significant technical resistance after that until we get up to that all time high that we hit back in 2020 above $2,000. So we could be off to the races, which would be very interesting. Now you, you mentioned your battleground levels on the upside. Do you, what, are the, what are the key, what's the level that comes to you that you'd be like, we got to add to this where you're really pounding the phones, getting the advisors, you know, this is, this is a steal of a deal. Is it just below 1800 or is it a little bit lower than that? You know what? I try, I try not to get involved in conversations about market timing and what's the right entry point, because that, that tends to lead to tactical investors who want to come in in the hopes of making a big profit in a matter of days and then get out. If they want to play with that, then the cryptocurrencies are probably the field that they ought to be in. To my mind, gold really comes into its own and performs best when you look at it as a long-term strategic asset that over time is going to enhance your returns and over time is going to reduce your volatility of your properly balanced portfolio. 
Um, and I think that, you know, market timing is, is something that you have no choice but to do. You've got to live and die by that. I don't. Um, as an advisor, all I have to do is try to put people on what I think is the way for them to look at gold, which is as a long-term strategic allocation. I do right, think George. there is, sorry, I was just going to say, I do think there is a new floor in gold. And I, I see that as at, at 16, like it, it, it does feel like, you know, with the amount of debt we have in the world, um, with all of the uncertainty, um, if gold falls below 16, like that feels like that's, that's a, 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 a steal of a deal. I, I couldn't even see it possibly <laughs> just, just for me, but you know, I mean, I, I, I tried to dig the trader out that I knew was in George at some point, you know, but I, I couldn't do it. So he's, he's been doing this too long. He's been doing this too long. All right. All right. <laughs> I'll give, I'll give you two inflection points as to where I got really interested. Um, the, the most recent one was in 2004 when we launched GLD um, and I bought GLD, so I'm long gold from when it was $450 an ounce. With the price at $18.30 today, that feels pretty good. But there is one that is even further back. When I was first researching the first ever article I wrote about gold, which was in 1972 for a little financial magazine in London, um, I talked to probably 150 people in a, a couple of week period. And several of them actually made sense. I mean, not all of them, but several of them actually made sense to the extent that I went out and bought a handful of gold coins. Um, so you could say that I'm long gold from $42.20 an ounce as well. Unfortunately, as you know, you never quite buy enough of something that goes up, right? If it goes down, you bought too much. If it goes up, you didn't buy enough. So all I did was buy a handful of gold coins. I just wish I'd doubled up on that. Or, or even better, but being long from forty-two dollars an ounce isn't so bad. Do you still have those coins? I mean, there there could be some historical value in those now. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so because gold coins were very, very common. The Krugerrand was a very, very common coin in America at the time, up until Ronald Reagan imposed sanctions against apartheid in South Africa in nineteen seventy-five. The Krugerrand was one of the principal ways in which people in this country owned gold. Um, so I don't think there's going to be any special historical value, but there is a massive amount of sentimental value to me. If ever I feel really stupid, and you know those days when you wake up and you feel stupid, Niels, I just pull out the drawer and pull out one of those coins and check the date on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed this. I think this is a, a fantastic pilot. Um, I just, I, the one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, how do how do when do investors get interested in gold and and like do we need to see a, a bigger equity market correction? Do we need to see um, real yields fall from from their recent peaks? Um, and I asked this like uh, uh, apparently on uh, according to uh, reports on Friday, uh, GLD actually saw its um, biggest inflows uh, in value uh, 100, 100, one, 1.63 billion uh, flowed into GLD on Friday. The biggest, correct me if I'm wrong, George, the biggest one day uh, inflows since 2004. And it was about 27, uh, 27, 28 uh, uh, tons of gold that went into, uh, into GLD um, yeah. on Friday. Um, 
are investors starting to to wake up now after after the the malaise of of 2021? I think that the investors that have been listening to me have been quiet, steady acquirers for many, many years um, because of the long-term strategic benefits. I think that the um, the extraordinary volatility we've seen in equity markets over the, the period this, this year, um, the volatility we've seen in bond markets and so on, um, plus, of course, the geopolitical tensions with, with you know, Ukraine and, and, and all of the horrible things that, that may be happening. Um, all of these, I think, are the kind of stimuli that investors, some investors need to get in. Um, I, I would hope that what we are getting is long-term strategic investment rather than short-term tactical plays. Um, and I'm reasonably confident. If you think about it, uh, you know, that that uh, that $2,000 price isn't really all that far away. Um, the inflows, the biggest in dollar terms we've ever had, as you say, since since 2004, that was a real encouragement to me when I found out about that. Um, and uh, I'm looking for more. We, uh, you know, we had record inflows in 2020. We had, we lost about two thirds of those inflows in the course of 2021. Um, it's nice to see that we're on the positive side, um, up almost $2 billion year to date, and we're still in the month of January. I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Bill, what do you think? What gets investors um, into gold and um, what levels do you like? Like, how do you, how do you play gold? On the, uh, on the tactical front, because of the fact that I'm a trader, I think that people are looking at, you know, I just saw a headline flash by that the S&P is down 10% since it's January 3rd close, you know, and a lot of the, the stock market looks like it's taking the escalator up and it's going to take the elevator down. And I think that you get that panic sell with the volatility index punching back above 30 makes it very difficult for people to trade in U.S. equity markets. And I think that the stability that gold is showing right now and the stability that it's held between, you know, that 1785 to 1835 to 50 range, I think that proves itself. And, you know, I think that people, they've had a run in the equities that's done well. They don't want to see all their, their gains slip away. And I think that, you know, now is the time to uh, call time out, have a break put some funds into some of these markets that could smooth out the volatility. And I think gold and GLD is a great product for it. And uh, we'd be remiss to, uh, to talk about Bitcoin um, down uh, headlines. I saw down 50% from its all time highs. Um, it just like, this has become, I think less of a competition for, for gold. Um, George, you know, what's your thoughts on gold versus uh, uh, Bitcoin here? Yep, 50% down from the all-time high, down 24% year-to-date. Um, you know, the big difference, I think, that between gold and, and, and Bitcoin is that Bitcoin's contribution to portfolio performance is based on one thing, and that is returns. And as we all know, returns are wonderful when they're positive, and they're not so wonderful when they're negative. Um, so far this year, they've been negative. Um, Whereas, as I said at the outset, the, the promise of gold for investors has been twofold throughout history. One, that over time it can enhance returns, just as cryptocurrencies have at various times in their existence. Um, but also that over time, gold will reduce your volatility. 
cryptos are actually much more volatile. We've only got a 13-year sample, which is way too small a sample to draw meaningful conclusions for me when I deal in an asset with a track record that's thousands of years long. But 13 years is all we've got as far as Bitcoin is concerned, the oldest cryptocurrency. And over that time, Bitcoin has been more than eight times more volatile than gold. And I still hear people complaining that gold is a volatile asset. Um, so, uh, you know, I think the two do very, very different jobs. And the reason that I own gold in my portfolio is because it allows me to sleep at night. If I owned cryptos, and I confess in full disclosure, I don't own any cryptocurrencies, but if I did, I would lie awake at night worrying that I'd forgotten my passwords. I'm <laughs> 74 years old. I forget passwords all the time. <laughs> uh, Phil, what do you think, This the, the Bitcoin and, and gold? I mean, is, is that helping gold a little bit? So I can tell you one thing, backtests in the economic models that Bitcoin and and cryptocurrencies generally don't do well in deflationary periods, which is kind of what we're seeing a little bit of a hint of uh, economically, where gold acts as a really good placeholder uh, in portfolios. At least the performance is positive. The, the cryptos, man, I just got to think that we really, I think, you know, it was, it was what was going to cause the bubble in the cryptos. And at first it was Bitcoin and it seemed like it got all the hype and then they launch Ethereum. And next thing you know, I've got my friends texting me that I need to buy things I can't even pronounce, you know, different cryptocurrencies. So it reached peak saturation as far as, as coins were concerned. But then you get the next level with these NFTs. And the NFTs, I think really, you know, when I have friends that are buying a picture of Mickey Mouse and they're spending, you know, 20 or $50,000 on it. And I'm just thinking to myself, why aren't you owning gold or silver or some kind of metal? I mean, at buying least- Buying a house do. even, like, come on. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, and I, I so I got to tell you, I think that, I think that that was kind of the NFT bubble is really what's taken down uh, Bitcoin. And the, the other problem is too, is that you have too much, there's a limited supply and you have institutional ownership. And if there's not new buyers in there, I don't want to say it's a pyramid scheme, but if there's not new buyers in there, the price is not going to go higher. So it seems like they're selling this off and they're going into, you know, alternative, well, back into other, you know, hard assets and various commodities. Yeah. And it, it feels like it's, you know, liquidity is now becoming top of mind, you know, like, it, you know, the, the Fed is looking, you know, they are looking to tighten. Um, they will be reducing their, their balance sheet whenever it comes. I mean, they're, they're going to stop growing it um, in March. Um, and then they want to, you know, expectations are that they start reducing it by, before the end of the year. Um, so liquidity is going to be an issue. So I, I sort of wonder, you know, like these NFTs, like how do they, how do they do in, in a low liquidity environment? Is it going to be just, you know, the digital equivalent to holding uh, a wine or, or fine art, you know, and those, those things are, are as pretty much as a liquid as you can get um, when it comes to, to alternative uh, assets and, and uh, wealth preservation. Um so yeah, so um, it's interesting thinking about liquidity, Niels. Um, you know, if you look at the total above ground stock of gold, uh, that's worth something like twelve trillion dollars at, uh, at today's price level. 
Um, the annual addition to that, the only new gold coming into the market every year is, is production from mines. And that's running at about $200 billion at, uh, at today's prices. So, you know, 12 trillion compared to an annual increment of only about 200 billion. Um, it's a market I kind of like to be in, I have to say. If you want liquidity, gold is a pretty good place to be. Thank you very much for, for this discussion. It's been fantastic. Like I said, uh, I think this is a great way to kick off this podcast. And uh, now I just wanted to end it by uh, asking you guys um, your headlines. You know, what are you going to be watching for the week? What's, what's drawn your attention in the news? Uh, let's start with our guest, George. All right, Niels. Look, um, obviously, I'm going to be interested to know exactly what the Fed says when their statement comes out on Wednesday, but I'm not expecting any major surprises, as I indicated earlier. So the, the news item that really struck me most, um, we've talked a lot about what's going on in macroeconomic terms and what that kind of impact that's going to be having on the markets in general and gold in particular. But there is also the geopolitical. We've just touched on that very, very briefly. But let me pick the headline that really spoke to me right now and concerns me. Uh, I noticed that the State Department in the U.S. has ordered all family members of staff at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev um, in Ukraine to come home. Um, that means that somebody at the State Department is starting to take this very, very seriously indeed, the threat of potential military action. And I always worry when the two biggest guys in the room are the ones that are starting to, uh, to face off against one another. Um, I find that very, very disturbing. And I think that, uh, you know, geopolitics do influence gold prices from time to time. I think the Ukraine uh, issue has been part of the background against which gold has gone up a little bit this year. But I think that that could become front and center at some point. That's really what I'm concerned about right now. I have to admit, my headline is related to uh, Ukraine, Russia, as well. I think this is this is it's definitely uh, boiling over. So the headline that I saw, uh, NATO is sending troops uh, and equipment to uh, Ukraine's eastern borders. So um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely escalating. Um, Phil, what was your headline? Yeah, with that volatility from that, you know, you got to think that the Fed. You know, they don't look at these geopolitical um, events and adjust policy statement around it, but they could come off a little bit more slightly dovish. And I do believe that Russia and Ukraine has added to some of the volatility in the U.S. equities. And that 10 percent correction we're seeing right now in the S&P 500, that's got to grab some headlines and have the, the Fed scratch in their head about is the recovery in jeopardy. Thank you very much for listening to uh, the Kitco News Gold podcast. Again, it's so new. We don't even actually have a name. Uh, if you have any suggestions, I'd love to hear them. Info at kitconews.com. Uh, George, how can people get a hold of you? How can, how can people get a hold of uh, more information from State Street? Oh, I think if you, uh, if you go to the, the State Street Global Advisors website, you can find a good deal of research that, uh, that my team and I put together. Um, including our uh, outlook for 2022, um, which has been there for a month or more now, um, offering you potential price ranges and scenarios and a base case and a bullish case and a bearish case and all of this good stuff. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get uh, to get a hold of me. Otherwise, of course, just keep reading your comments in Kitco. 
uh, Kitco News, and you'll see my name crop up from time to time. Bill, how can people reach out to you and, and uh, um, uh, Blue Line Capital? Yeah, you could, well, you can always check us out on the future side at bluelinefutures.com and also bluelinecapital.com. Um, we've got a wealth of information on there. We do some coverage on gold and silver every day, as well as the macro markets. And you have a Twitter handle? Oh, it's at P. Strebel. Excellent. And my Twitter handle is uh, Niels underscore C. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Again, thank you very much for listening to our pilot podcast.